Hello, my name is Hindel Grossman. I'm a divorce attorney in Newton, Massachusetts, and welcome to Inside Divorce, a podcast series published on the 15th of each month. Each guest is an expert in the field of divorce and has fascinating information to share. I hope you'll listen. Hello and welcome to Inside Divorce. My name is Hindel Grossman, and today I'm speaking with Robert Taylor, who's a military attorney in Idaho. He has a lot of really interesting information about military benefits, so I'm going to turn to him now, and he is going to tell us all about it. Hi, Robert. Hi. Uh, thanks for having me. Hi. Yeah. Tell us a little about yourself. Yes, I do want to clarify a little bit. I'm not a military attorney. I'm a private attorney, civilian attorney that practices military divorce, um, but I'm not a judge advocate general, as most people would think about in terms of a military lawyer. But I I do practice uh, a lot of divorce law, uh, primary divorce law, but a lot with uh, military folks. Uh, I'm a member of the military myself. I have been for the last 21 years. And then I opened my practice in a military community, uh, Mount Home Air Force Base, which is just 10 minutes, or Mount Home, which is just 10 minutes away from Mount Home Air Force Base. I've been there for about the last 10, 11 years. And so I've seen a lot of different issues uh, that come up during military divorces. Yeah. Well, thank you for that distinction, that you're not a military attorney, you're a practice, private attorney. So that's an important distinction, and I appreciate that clarification. All right, let's launch into this. We have lots of topics. Um, starting with jurisdiction, which is where someone's divorce claim should be filed. So tell us. Yeah. So I'll get calls from all over the country, even all over the world in other countries with people who would like to get divorced in Idaho. Um, you know, the first question is, does Idaho have jurisdiction? Uh, and this, this will happen because of a couple of reasons. The military will move people here or uh, people will be married to a military member. It could be the Navy. It could be the Army. Uh, but they're from Idaho, the divorce isn't, or the marriage isn't working out. And so the solution is I'll move back home uh, with the kids. Uh, the military member will continue their service and then we'll get divorced later. Um, Idaho kind of makes this a little complicated because the petitioner has to live in Idaho for six weeks before they can file for divorce. Uh, so sometimes in that scenario, the military spouse and the kids move back to Idaho. Uh, the military member continues on. The military member calls me and says, can I get divorced? My wife and kids are in Idaho. And the answer is like, sorry, man, you haven't lived here for six weeks. I can't help you. If your spouse called, we could probably get something going there. And it just seems really kind of weird based off of whether or not who's, you know, who's calling. Um, some states like Utah, either party has to live there for six weeks before you can file for divorce. So in that uh, scenario, if the spouse. More practical. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a practical solution. I hear your new puppy. Yes. <laughs> it's good. good to have him in, in the interview. Uh, um, so that's really interesting. So what is that in that example that you just gave? What does that husband do? He has to find an attorney in the place where he's living? Yeah. So um, if the military member's from Idaho and hasn't established, you know, residence in some other state, there's some case law that would let us help them. Um, sometimes if the member uh, has never been to Idaho, uh, just happened to marry somebody that, you know, they met from Idaho. Uh, they may have to get divorced in whatever state that they are in. Sometimes it's a challenge because um, maybe they're in a different country or maybe uh, they live in a state like North Carolina has a year waiting period before you can, uh, you know, get divorced there. And they don't, they don't want to wait a year. 
compared to the 21-day waiting wow. period in Idaho. The other jurisdictional piece is the custody piece. You know, the kids have to live in the state for six months um, before the court can hear the custody aspect of the case. And maybe they've mm. only lived there for three or four months, or maybe even it's mm. the spouse calling. Uh, it's lived in yeah. Idaho for six weeks, but they haven't lived in there for six months. And so they either got to look at the other state where they just came from or wait the six months. Wow. That's amazing. Being in the military really complicates getting divorced. Plus, every state seems to have their own jurisdictional rules. They do on the residential uh, piece and the the yeah. um, that piece. I think the custody and support are more uniform. Um, the other question I get a lot, though, is what does being a resident mean? I'm, I have a driver's license. I'm registered to vote. Do I have to have a power bill? And you just have to live yeah. there. Uh, you know, that's the place where you go to bed every night. Uh, yeah. The past six weeks. Okay. Well, that seems like a pretty easy standard if, in fact, you do. So you don't need proof of utility bills or anything more substantial than that. Correct. I get right. a lot of calls up like, hey, I, I live in Georgia, but I'm still registered to vote in Idaho. And it's like, but you haven't mm-hmm. been in Idaho for two years, you know, or yeah. a, uh, you're a Georgia resident. Or the military mm-hmm. member might be in Idaho. Maybe so is their spouse, but they want to know if they have to get divorced in Maine because they have a Maine driver's license. Right. Same. Wow. Well, that's how, you know, that's, you have much more complicated jurisdictional issues when you're representing military members, for sure. All right. What resources do they have? Um, I would say, uh, like, the Judge Advocate General, every base has its own uh, legal assistance. They give general advice. They can't practice law or represent you, but it's a good starting place. Um, I'm just kind of, I always use caution when talking to them. A lot of them are licensed attorneys, but not licensed in the state that they are advising you in. So sometimes mm. I've had judge advocates give advice that conflict the information or advice that I would give, and we have to have that conversation with the client. But aside from that, uh, there's a lot of advice or resources online, uh, especially with dividing military retirement pay. You can really just Google DFAS, military retirement pay divorce, and you can find a lot of resources that will help you. Other attorneys that know about military law is pretty helpful. Yeah. Um, I see yeah. I see a lot of cases that could have been fixed with the two sentences worded the right way at the time of divorce uh, had that mm-hmm. attorney known how to word or knew, knew where some of these resources were. Okay, I see. Yes. Well, that, that certainly applies to um, the world here in Massachusetts, too. Drafting is important. A missing word or a word that's misinterpreted can mean a lot. Or be confusing, at least, in its interpretation later. Well, DFAS just requires the decree to have certain language, um, uh, specific dates or information. And it's a lot easier included at the time of divorce than it is to come back and chase someone down five, six years later. Got it. All right. So um, apparently there's a rule called 2020 that uh, you want to tell us about? Yes. So, And I don't see this very often, but there is a 2020 rule that people ask about. Um, well, maybe then we should start with 1010. Yeah, let's do that one. That one's a lot easier. Okay. Uh, there is a 1010 rule. Uh, basically, if you've been, uh, if the military member has been in the military for 10 years, it overlaps for 10 years of marriage, or vice versa, you got 10 years of marriage that overlaps for 10 years of military service, then the military member or uh, the military spouse is eligible to receive uh, any retirement pay awarded to that member directly from DFAS, the Defense Finance Agency and Services, directly through direct deposit. If they do not reach that 10, 10 10-year rule, then any military time of pay awarded 
needs to be paid directly from the member or the spouse. I have a lot of people that, that I talk to that uh, get this rule mixed up and they think that you have to be married for 10 years and in the, in the military for 10 years before your spouse is entitled to any retirement pay. And that's not true. I hear all the time, well, we've only been married for seven years or she gets nothing. And it's like, no, we're still going to do the math and determine what he or she's entitled to. The only difference with that 10-year rule is who's paying the, the, the spouse on a benefit. Who's paying? So the answer is either DFAS pays or the member pays. Yes, either the, the spouse will get the money direct deposited every month from DFAS the same way that the military member does when they retire. Right. Or yep. the spouse will write a check or or whatever the other payment options are today, uh, their spouse yeah. the same amount of money. Got it. That's what that tends to. That sounds confusing. I think we just gave the answer. Hopefully the world is listening. All right. That's back to 2020. Yes. Uh, so if you've been married for 20 years, have 20 years of service. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. So you got to be married for 20 years. This, the service person has to do 20 years of service and those 20 years have to overlap with each other. A 20-year marriage yep. during which time the person completed 20 years of military service. Uh, okay. And you are able to uh, keep your TRICARE benefits uh, after your uh, marriage has come to an end. And TRICARE is the health what insurance. Is tri- uh, uh, which is a really good insurance. Okay. Uh, and it's really good if you can continue to maintain it on a marriage to a military member. Just this as an aside, because yeah. um, I've not been in the military, nor has anyone in my family yeah. except my father. Um, TRICARE benefits are offered through the VA only, or, do, or can private doctors also? Uh, so it's separate tr- from the VA. Honor TRICARE. VA, and it's, it's TRICARE is the health insurance. And there's several different categories and branches and breaks or types of TRICARE coverage you can have. But it's basically yeah. the health insurance. Um, and if you're an active duty member, it's really good health insurance for you and your family if you're in the Guard and Reserve. It's also really good, but there's a premium associated with it. The caps are a lot lower than you would pay. The copay is a lot lower than you would pay um, on the civilian insurance. So it's a pretty uh, good benefit for members and their families. So it's subsidized and it's good coverage provided through private doctors. Uh, there's, Yeah, you can go to different doctors. Some have to be networked. Some have to be out of network. Um, if you're on a military facility, you can go see the doctors on base for free. Um, they have yeah. limited care, so they will often refer you out to the private sector. Mm-hmm. That's I where see. the benefit. And in re- Does this retirement try care or its variations continue into retirement when no more, not, not active service anymore? Yes. Um, if you retirement benefit requirements, because uh, there's different benefits for the guard and, their, and then from uh, active duty as well. So potentially you can maintain your TRICARE coverage. It's a slightly different type of coverage when you retire. It's still Mm -hmm. under the TRICARE umbrella. And so you can, Mm -hmm. they call it like TRICARE for life. You can, there's different ways to get you through different TRICARE options to get you through the rest of your life if you retire from the military. So typically if you get divorced um, from the military member, you lose your TRICARE coverage the same day, midnight of the day, Mm -hmm. the decree signs. And so this is an exception. That lets you keep it on the rest of your life as well if you met that 202020 rule. It's closely connected uh, is the 202015 rule where if you've only uh, had that overlapping period of marriage and um, service 
2020, but say there's only a 15 year of overlap, then the spouse yeah. can keep their benefit for up to one year. Oh, not okay. as good as for life, but uh, not not usually. Hopefully not. Uh, right? Okay. Yeah. Right. All right. So lots of interesting information. We could go much deeper into each of these, but we're trying to cover a lot of topics today. Well, show us about child support. Uh, a common question we get for child support uh, is what's included as income. And the answer is everything. Uh, every base, there's basic pay, there's allowances, uh, there's housing allowances, there's subsidized allowances, there's clothing allowances, there's bonuses for reenlistment or uh, retention. Uh, the answer is all of the above. Like everything counts as income for the purpose of child support. Uh, I think military uh, child support calculations are easy because twice a month, uh, the member gets uh, what's called an LES, leave an earnings statement that is available online. They can download it anytime. They show it to you and it says exactly what allowances and pay that that member receives and it adds it up, plug that number into your calculations and move on. It's, it's pretty easy. Uh, the calculator. I'm going to latch on to something you said. So there's a military calculation for child support? Well, no, there's uh, the regular state level uh, calculations okay. for child support, but it's easy to plug in the military pay into that uh, calculation. From the LES? Over time, uh, I don't know. It's it's nice and easy. You get paid monthly, not by a bi-weekly schedule. And so- uh-huh. uh, it shows you what the monthly pay is, and you just plug that number in, and you can move on to the next step pretty easily. But it, I guess. Sounds like it. All right. So there's no separate calculation for child support if you're in the military other than the availability of this form correct. that gives you the data you need. Yes. Okay. So so the child support calculation is state by state. So I put, you're using Idaho child support yeah. guidelines, I imagine. I am. Using software mm-hmm. that calculates in accordance with the Idaho uh, child support guidelines. Right, so, and I would do it here in Massachusetts. Okay. Correct. The, the really, the kind of confusion or the most popular questions is like the housing allowance because it's tax-free. Does that mean it doesn't count? Like, no, it does count. Just because it's tax-free doesn't mean it's not included in child support calculations, at least in Idaho. It counts all types it, of income. Oh, okay. Is the housing allowance that's tax-free grossed up to a taxable amount? Um, so the reason I am asking is because in Massachusetts, child support is calculated uh, on gross income. I see what you're saying. So we would try to make everything the equivalent of a gross calculation. I got you. No, you just add it on top of the, the yeah. base pay. It is a gross pay, Idaho- but not adjusted for uh-huh. taxes. So you use gross pay for the Idaho child support calculation, Correct. not net? Correct. Oh, gross okay. pay. Yeah. Interesting. How do you guys do it? Also on gross, okay. um, and the child support calculation is different than the alimony calculation, although both are on gross numbers. What's included in the calculation for alimony is slightly different than for child support. Do you guys have a calculation for alimony? Well, it's funny that you ask. It's a, kind of a long answer. But um, yes, we have a generally accepted one, but the statutes, the old statute is still in force and still says that alimony is based on the difference between two gross incomes times 30 to 35%. But that was when alimony was tax deductible. And as you and I know, that ended January 1, 2019. So now that it's no longer tax deductible to the payor and taxable income to the payee, there's 
you know, local financial advisors and divorce financial planners who recommend a certain range in the 20, like, you know, 22 to 28%. Okay. We just have uh, factors by statute. There's no calculation yeah. or formula, uh, just some really? factors for the court to consider case yeah. by case basis. That must be hard. Then you have to prove more things to disagree about, huh? Yes. You have to prove um, that uh, a person's unable lack sufficient property to provide for themselves and lack the ability yeah. to earn their own income, eat those uh, two uh, elements, then there's seven or eight factors that the court will look at to consider how much spousal support should be for what length of time. Yeah, I see. So calculations yeah. or guidelines like there is for child support. Wow, that leaves a lot of discretion. A lot of our, our two standards for pay, whether payment of alimony is due is one person's need and the other person's ability to pay, and those are obviously very broad. And we have a concept of attribution of income as well, which is when someone you know voluntarily isn't working, can we attribute some income to them? But back to you yes. on the military questions. All right, so um, we're just talking about child support. And alimony um, is the is all income uh, con- included in the alimony calculation in Idaho? Yes, um, it's not very common in Idaho to be honest to give out spousal support, and then mm-hmm. with the military divorces, not as common to give out uh, as well. Um, those are the military pay that gets split up, but that's property distribution, not spousal support. Hmm. But yeah, all all income it counted uh, for purposes okay. of spouses. Okay, all right. The Supreme Court case that has something about disability income. Yes, a member's disability income. Uh, so that's a uh, Howell v. Howell, which was decided mm-hmm. in 2017 by the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. So this is a. This is a divorce case that talks about military benefits. Yes. So what are the other military benefits that get divided? Yes. Yeah, so the two main ones um, are going to be that military member's retirement pay and then TSP, which is their savings program. And that's like their military equivalent of a 401k. Uh, yeah. Like it's, that's a dollar amount. That's relatively easy to split up. The other one, uh, military pay. So if you're in the military and you do your 20 years of service, uh, in your active duty, there's a different formula if you're in the Guard, Reserve. Um, once you retire, say you do your 20 years of service, once you're retired, uh, you get a retirement pay allowance the rest of your uh, life, as long as you're alive. Um, that's done on a formula based off of your rank, your time in service, and then how many times you spent in the how many years you spent in the military. Uh, in 2012, okay. they changed the retirement benefit to give. Uh, people the option if you were in the military, but if you're new, uh, every year that you're in the military, you earn 2% of your base pay to be used for retirement uh, today. Okay. Uh, if you were in the military prior to 2012 or all the, otherwise grandfathered in, that's 2.5%. Uh, so if, okay. if you do 20 years in the military uh, and you were in the old way, uh, you would get 50% of your base pay the rest of your life. Uh, if you're in the new way, you get 40% of your base pay but as a way to help with that gap, they can they do uh, matching contributions to your TSP throughout your career. So uh, okay. 
if if you're in the military, you do 20 years, uh, you're getting 50% of your retirement hire to go away, and you're getting divorced, your spouse uh, can receive a portion of that retirement pay. Okay. Yep. I'm sure the rules are complicated on how that happens, who actually pays it out of their pocket. Um, well, that's where that 10-year ten year rule will come into, whether it's DFAS or the member paying it out of their yes, pocket. Got it. Yeah. All right. Well, um, a continuing c- continuing income is obviously wonderful, and and uh, that's the least they deserve for serving in our military. Uh, so this is interesting and complicated. So pretty much TSP Thrift Savings Savings Plan is the four hundred one k. So who's who contributes to that? Is it the member or the government or both? So the military member has the option to contribute uh, under the new retirement. Uh, the military will. Uh, contribute, I think it's at least 1%, and then we'll match up to another percentage. Um, uh-huh. I enlisted in 2001. Uh, in 2012, I did the math and decided I'd rather stay under the current system. And so I'm not as familiar with the matching what percentage. I think it's like somewhere between 1% to 5% that they will match mm-hmm. uh, each mm-hmm. each month. I see. Okay. Okay. Uh, so continuing VA benefits. All right. So what other general advice do you have for military, I guess, for planning purposes, if someone's thinking about getting a divorce? I would recommend first trying to figure out what state to get divorced in, um, yeah. and what each state's requirement is, residency requirement to live there is, mm-hmm. and then what their waiting period is once you filed for divorce. So again, in Idaho, it's mm-hmm. six weeks and then 21 days. Uh, in some states, you have to live there for a year, and then there's a year residency or a year waiting period. Um so sometimes I have people call and they say, we're thinking about getting divorced and we want to move to this state. What do you think we should do? Like, well, that state yeah. makes you live there for a year. Do you want to live there for a year or do you want to get divorced before you leave Idaho? Yeah. Those, those type decisions. Yeah. These are choices that, you know, non-military don't have to make more or less because generally people don't move from state to state that often. But military members move a lot. That's correct. So and then even if they don't move, there's going to be long periods of time where they're going to be away from home, whether they're in a yeah. deployment or a temporary duty assignment. And so, yeah, yeah, we have to take all that into account when we do the parenting plan and the custody arrangement of what does that look like, knowing at some point in the future, one of the members or both can move or be gone for three to 12 months at a time. Oh, right. That too. The challenge. Well, it's like, you know, we're both divorce attorneys, but your practice with military clients is so much different. It brings a whole host of other issues to tackle. It does, so, but great. I will tell you that I I love my military clients, I think, more than mm-hmm. uh, my, my private ones. I hope the private clients don't hear that. Um, <laughs> but for whatever reason it is, uh, there's some exceptions, but it seems like the military members and their families are really more mature when it comes to these decisions. Uh, maybe because they have to move around all the time. The military controls everything that they've done in their life during the time yeah. of service. So it's not uncommon for them to be like, look, the plan is for wife to move back home with the kids because I'm in the military. I'm gone all the time. Grandma, my grandma's there. The kid's grandma's there. Yeah. Her mom's there. Move back home. And you don't typically see the long drawn out custody battles that you might see uh, outside of the military just because they've had to adapt to changing and moving and kind of yeah. decide like, okay, it's what's in the best interest of my career, what's in the best interest of the kids. And they kind of come to their own solution 90% of the time. 
And so you're just kind of helping them navigate the systems to get them there, or helping them with the creative problem solving for the maximized parenting time given one member's military service. Yeah. That's a very interesting perspective. I appreciate you said that because it's so different than our general experience with the private clients. Sometimes no, it and, makes it easier and, if one party's leaving the state right at the beginning. Like, you know, yeah. So many that's options. True. The, sep- the separation is easier. Yeah. I mean, the logistics of the separation is easier. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, you might have a member that deployed for six months and then it was clear that, uh, the relationship's not going to last any longer for whatever reason, right? Yeah. But they've had six yeah. months to figure it out and to think about it. And then when they come back home, then they're just, okay, let's proceed with the divorce. So it's a little less emotional yeah. sometimes uh, for that that's reason. That's true. Well, that's another reason. And they're used to being apart. Military marriages, are, yeah. there's a lot of separation, I imagine. So it is a lot more about the logistics. Well, interesting perspective. Thank you. You've taught me a lot today, Robert. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, so... Yeah, a pleasure. I've been speaking with Robert Taylor, who is a divorce attorney in Idaho, and many of his clients are in the military. And there's some special things to know about that. All right, Robert, take care. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Sassoon Simrod has attorneys who meet your dynamic needs, handling legal matters, including tax issues, real estate transactions, business law, And of course, divorce and post-divorce matters. I can be reached to the same number, 617-969-0069, but my email address has changed. It's now hgrossman at sassoonsimrod.com. Sassoon Simrod is spelled S-A-S-S-O-O-N-C-Y-M-R-O-T. Thanks for listening.